uh, just basics, if you want to call it that, elementary rudiments. Uh, but when you read in Colossians chapter 2, when Paul is admonishing the church, he says to beware lest any man spoil you through vain philosophy after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world. And that's where you get people. If you could get them to stray away from the ABCs and one, two, threes, if you could undermine that, then you could set the course and direction. So, and that's what he's meaning by the word rudiments. It's the elementary, it's the basics. And he says, you be careful when someone takes you away from the basics. And so we should never uh, look at the basics of our faith and just kind of like, you know, get cold, numb, callous to it, or just so casual about it that it means nothing, doesn't provoke anything, or that it's been so far away that we no longer know how to convey it or explain it. And uh, personally, my favorite thing to do when talking to people and witnessing is to go over the rudiments. I love the basics. I love the doctrine. And uh, it's an exciting thing, especially when you watch somebody get it for the first time, when they start contemplating it. It's an amazing thing. I'll never forget when I was um, doing a Bible study with my boss in uh, Palm Springs, California. I was between uh, college, and uh, he was a Jehovah's Witness, and uh, I I was playing, I, I was kind of playing dumb the whole time, but at the same time, I was I was sincerely open to hear whatever he had to say, uh, because in that stage when I was, uh, you know, I prayed back through God in the church, I was kind of like just like whatever you say, you know, God, I want the truth, I want truth. I don't want tradition. Jesus said in Mark 7, 7, how be it in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines, the traditions of men. And uh, so I really was like opening to listen to anything. If someone can prove something to me, then I would, I believe it. But the more I I read read the scripture for myself and studied it, uh, the more I got my own personal revelation about this foundation that we have. And uh, I'll never forget uh, the, the time when he's trying to teach me who Jesus was um, that he was an angel, that he wasn't uh, a God. And the big thing in Jehovah's Witnesses is they don't believe in the Trinity, which we know the Bible does not speak of a Trinity. It speaks of there is one God and he has one name. And we know it's the mighty God in Christ. And so we had a very interesting connection over the time of our, our, our work. But I, I remember as he was, uh, he would not let me use any Bible other than his Bible, which was uh, the the New World Translation, I believe it's what it's called, but it's their own translation that they have. Uh, other words, they they won't listen to anything. So I let him teach, and and I studied their translation through through over and over, and looking at all the scriptures where you find where Jesus was worshipped or that deity is attributed to him, and I found like almost every scripture they finally combed and removed worship from there, and they removed deity from there. And so it was kind of a tough case to try to present uh, through the scriptures that they had. But I, I finally found something. And, uh, you know, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And, um, and I, I knew that verse, but I didn't bring it up to him at the point. Uh, but, you know, because the, the big thing is they really strongly believe that Jesus was the architect. Jesus was the creator the heavens and earth, which the Bible teaches that, but they believe Father God didn't have anything to do with it. Jesus did it all. And uh, and so I'm just letting him explain that, go to their boss. I was like, oh, okay. Well, what about Hebrews 3, 4? And when he read Hebrews 3, 4 in their translation where it says, he that built all things is God, I mean, his jaw dropped. It was an amazing moment. 
And then uh, uh, I can't remember what the other uh, point was that he brought up, but I took him to Revelation where it says when Jesus comes that on his thigh is written a name, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And, um, and his wife was eavesdropping and she, she flipped out because she converted him from Greek Orthodox and she came in there storming and pulled all these books. And anyways, the Bible study was over because she was about to rip both of our heads off. But it was an amazing thing to see somebody see it in, in, in the, who Jesus is. And so we should, we should never lose an appreciation of value of the basics because that's the only way there's entrance into the kingdom is the rudiments, the foundations of what we have. And so the more we revisit it, more we discuss it, more we have a sharp edge when we talk to somebody. Because the Bible says in the book of Psalm 19.7, it's the word that converts the soul. And so, and that's how you pierce through to somebody, Hebrews 4.12. It says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets to the, not just the joints and the marrow, but it's the, it discerns, it divides the very nth degree, the thoughts, the intents of the heart. There's nothing like God's word. And so I would encourage you, hopefully, over these past couple months, you've appreciated going over baptism over and over again, going over the Holy Ghost over and over again, because we are in a season that I believe there is harvest, but we have to teach people and we have to know what we believe as firmly as we can with the help of the Holy Ghost. So we're going to revisit baptism one more time here today, and we're going to go over some examples in Scripture that I, I, I enjoy teaching when I talk to people and trying to help them to understand the significance of baptism. First Corinthians 10, 11, uh, in your handout there, says all things happen to them for examples. They're written for our admonition upon the whom's the end of the world are come. And so we have an advantage uh, over uh, the prophets in the Old Testament and an advantage over the apostles in the New Testament because we have both and to basically use to help lead people into further truth. And so all that we read in the Bible is not merely a moment that was meant solely for the people alive at that time. All we read has an application and significance to our lives today. And so everything we read in the Bible, it's not just for them, it's for us. And everything we read about, there's an application for us today. And so I, with that premise... I want to go over five illustrations of baptism's significance in the Bible. And you'll see five numbers there. Next to the number, you'll write uh, the example that we're going to go over. And so number one, I'm just looking at time, make sure we can try to finish up today before our, uh, we dismiss, and it's Jesus. Jesus is number one example here. That, and these are not really in any particular order other than this is just the order in which we are going today. But Jesus, I think that's a good number one to start with, is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That is typically how modern Christianity is living. But the Bible says, God forbid. That's not how we live. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ... We're baptized into his death. That's the key verse there. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by uh, the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in the newness of life. So Jesus is the ultimate example of who we strive to be. That, you know, we get the term Christian. We are 
Christ-like. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Jesus. And so to be like Jesus, we need to be buried in baptism. That's what we just read here. This is the example. Jesus Christ, he was buried. Uh, he was, uh, we're baptized into Christ just like he was buried. And we're buried in baptism. So what do you do? Uh, uh, common sense is what do you do with a dead body? You bury it. Jesus died, but then he was buried. Repentance is symbolic of his death. And baptism is symbolic of his burial. And so when we pray, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins and we're determined to change the way we live, that is symbolic of the death of Jesus. We're dying to the flesh. As it says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what we do when we repent. We're being crucified with Christ. But next, like Christ, we want to be buried. And the Bible says in Romans 6 that we are buried with him in baptism. That's the first example. Second example here is Abraham in the Old Testament. Remember, everything we read about is for our admonition. Therefore, our examples upon whom the ends of the world have come. And these days sure are looking like we are at the end of the world. Uh, as we know it. And if you're baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you're just fine. But without that, then we're in a little trouble, I think, here, is what we're going to discover. Abraham, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. It says, Whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12 says, Buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. If you notice uh, that these, these two that we just talked about, both talked about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, both in Romans 6 and in Colossians 2, because that is the gospel. That is the good news. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And so Abraham is the example used here. And uh, when you read in the book of Romans, you read in the book of Hebrews, uh, in the book of Galatians, it's reiterated over and over again that Abraham was the father of the faithful. And it talks about he believed in God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so the point that is being driven is to help the Jews to understand the faith element of salvation, not the works element of salvation, that God completed the law and the sacrificial law. Jesus Christ fulfilled it. So he's driving that point home over and over again. But he helps them understand another aspect of the law, a further revelation of circumcision because Abraham believed for God or believed God for all the promises of the covenant or a contract that God presented because the context is God is speaking to Abraham. He says, you are a father of the faithful. You're going to be a father of uh, an endless, countless sea multitude of people. He says, if you can number the stars in the skies, that's going to be your family lineage. And if you can number the sand in the seashore, that will be where I'll cap off your family lineage. But we know that it is not possible for man to number the stars. It's not possible for man to number the sand on the seashore. And so God says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you all this land. And anyone that blesses you is going to be blessed. Anyone 
anyone that curses you is going to be cursed. So Abraham's very excited about this, as anyone would be. If God told you that I'm going to bless your family, I'm going to give you property, I'm going to give you promises, my favor, my blessing, my hand is going to be on your life, we would be excited about that, rightfully so. And so Abraham's like, yes, I believe, I believe, I believe. And it was counted to him for righteousness. But God doesn't stop there. God now says, if you believe everything you read in the contract, the covenant, I want you to sign with the sign of circumcision. And so he says, you have to be circumcised if you want me to be obligated to fulfill my terms of agreement of the covenant. This is all the things I'll do for you, but you got to sign it in blood. And so he had to be circumcised in every male. And the Bible says anybody that would not be circumcised, they were cut off and removed from the tribe of God, the people of God. And so you could believe the message for the people of God all you wanted to, but unless you were in covenant, you were exempt from getting the promise that came from the covenant. And so this is the example we'll read about. So Abraham now had to sign the contract and circumcision was the signing of the contract. And so what we just read is Paul speaks to the church in Colossia. Uh, he, he, he says to them that this is what we do. You don't have to physically be circumcised in the flesh to be a part of God's covenant. He says, our covenant is baptism in Christ. If you look at verse 11, he says, we have the circumcision of Christ. And there's not a period there. It go, the, it, the, the thought is continuing. He says, the circumcision of Christ is buried with him in baptism. And so we like to hear the promise. Jesus loves you. Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus will bless your family. Jesus will cover you. Jesus, uh, what did he say in John chapter 14 or uh, chapter 15 or 14? Yeah, Uh, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And so that's what Jesus says. I've, I've, I got this place called heaven and I prepared it for you so you could be there. And so we're like, yes, I want it. I want it. And God says, okay, here's the covenant now. After you died your sins and you believe in me, now you must sign the contract of covenant called baptism. Okay? And so Galatians uh, chapter 3, our next uh, uh, segment here, the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle. Once more, going off of our opening verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, everything that we read about is for our Example, and we have the example in Galatians three twenty three through 27. Paul speaking to the church in Galatia, and he says this to them. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, remember when we read in Colossians chapter 2, I referenced it when you read verses 8 and 9. 
uh, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain deceit, after traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. There's this school element again, okay? And so this is what the Old Testament is. It's the school element. It's the foundation. It's the building box of where we're learning. It's the schoolmaster. But you still, you got to graduate. You you aren't the master by being in the school. You got to move forward. You got to move on from the class. And so we learn, but we move forward. And so... What we read here, he says that we're the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 27, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So the Old Testament was a perfect shadow of the process of approaching God. And when you read the Old Testament, you see the perfect model that is set up that Jesus Christ followed that we follow. And it was the priest in the Old Testament had to approach the altar. The altar was a place of death. It was a place of repentance. That's what they did at the altar. They were repenting to God. And when they repented to God, they brought a sacrifice that would be slain at that altar. But then there was a brazen laver or laver. It was a, a place of burial. It was baptism where they would wash. And then after that, they would go further and, uh, on, and they would. their goal was to reach the holiest of holies, which is where the presence of God was found, which is what people need to have in their life, the Spirit of God, which the Bible says Jesus Christ was resurrected by the Holy Ghost. And so the same process Jesus went through, the death, the burial, the resurrection, is the same model in the Old Testament tabernacle. There was the death, there was the burial, then there was the resurrection where you get to the very presence of of God. Now, what we see here in Exodus 38 and verse 8, we get a beautiful insight to what happens or the symbolism of what occurred at this brazen laver. The, after the altar, they had to wash in this brazen laver. And it says this brazen laver was made of brass, the foot of it of brass. And it says looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so looking glasses is mirrors. It was made of brass and mirrors. And so after the priests left the altar with the blood sacrifice, which is repentance, he would arrive at the brazen laver, which is symbolic of baptism. Now, the brazen laver was made of looking glasses or mirrors in the base. So he would see his reflection and be reminded of his sins and imperfection at that body of water. But when he washed in the waters, baptism, the blood of the lamb would take on the water and he would no longer see himself, but the blood of the lamb. When he looked at the reflection, he wouldn't see it just for himself through a clear filter. He would look at his reflection through the filter of the blood pigment that is now in the water. And that is the power of when we are baptized in the name of Jesus. We apply the blood of the lamb on our lives. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, John the Baptist, when he was saying, look, I'm just, I'm not the one. I'm just preparing the way for the one. And when Jesus came on the scene, he pointed to all of his followers. He said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
Jesus Christ was that perfect lamb sacrifice symbolically for our lives. And so when we die out to this, our sins and we go to the waters and we're, we still have the, the, the memory of our sins, our imperfections. And just like the priest would look in the base of that brazen laver, he would see his reflection. He would see that he's responsible for the, the life of that lamb. But when he would immerse himself in that brazen laver and the blood would be in that water, he would see his reflection through the blood. And that's what we want. I don't want to look in the mirror and just see me. I want to see through the blood. I want to see the blood applied on my life. Number four, Moses. Moses is another example. We read in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 in your handout there. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant And this is what we're doing. We're covering things to make sure we are not uninformed of them. We want to be informed about what we believe. And so when we witness to someone, we can help them to be informed as well. And so Paul helps them to have understanding of something from the Old Testament. And he says, look at our fathers, our family out in the wilderness back in Moses' day. They were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And he helps them understand what those symbolize. He says they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, which is symbolic of spirit and water. Baptism of spirit, baptism of water. They all did eat the same spiritual meat. They all drank the same spiritual rock. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. So this is... Once more, perfect imagery of being born again of water and of the sea or the spirit. Water is the sea. The spirit is the cloud. And so Egypt, if you remember the story, the children of Israel, God miraculously set them free from the bondage and slavery of Egypt for over 400 years. They were slaves to Egypt. They were slaves to a pagan nation. And now God liberates them and they are now set free. And so Egypt being symbolic of the world, you and I, we were slaves to sin. But God miraculously brought us out of sin and he and, and he brought us, just like the Israelites, he brought us to the Red Sea. That's the, the, the progress. They could have went another route. The Bible says so. But the Bible lets us know that God intentionally brought them to this body of water. And as they're at this body of water, their past begins to follow them. That is Egypt. Egypt tries to re-enslave them, to recapture them. And so... The Bible says that they went through the Red Sea. It opened up and the children of Israel passed through those waters. And Egypt, the world, its armies followed through. But the children of Israel, when they came up out of the other side of that body of water, those waters closed on Egypt. And all of Egypt was drowned and destroyed under the water. That is what happens when we are baptized. When we are baptized, God miraculously liberated us from this world, and he wants to bring us now to a body of water. And when we go through that water, when we come up out of that water in baptism, everything in our past stays buried 
under the water. And we come out into the newness of life. If I think it might be there in your handout, verse 6 and verse 11. This is the context of what we read. He uses uh, these first couple of verses in 1 through 3 to help us understand. And then he says in verse 6, this is all for our example to the intent we should not lust after evil things like they lusted. And all those things happen to them for our examples written for our admonition upon who the, whom the ends of the world have come. We are living in the last days. But we don't have to live ignorantly, scared, fearful, worried. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Am I going to be all right? I'm going to make it. But if we look at history's past that God set up for us, we don't have to be afraid with what's before us because we're prepared and we're ready. Number five, Noah. Noah is our last example that we're going to uh, draw from here. In verse 20 of 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 as well, it says, Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. It doesn't put away the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Noah found grace. That is uh, uh, the mantra of our modern era is grace, grace, grace. And we preach it, we teach it, we believe it, and I'm thankful for it. But uh, it's important that we study what happens in Noah's life, just like we study and look at what happened in Abraham's life. Abraham believed, but Abraham also obeyed. If Abraham did not get circumcised, it wouldn't matter what he believed. He was out of covenant. And grace is there for us. And you can write this down on the side, Titus chapter 2, verses 10 uh, through 15. But it says, the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, godly, and righteous in this present world. And so grace is a teacher. And if you look right after uh, the Bible says Noah found grace, it says, and Noah, he, he, he walked with God. And so it's not just the the believing it's the walking as well but noah found grace and god told him to build an ark to escape judgment judgment was still coming he found grace and god says but judgment's coming all right so what are you going to do with the grace that god's giving you to let you know there's judgment they let you know there's something coming down the road you got to be ready for so god extends grace but we must respond and so what happened noah builds the ark and the waters came down upon the earth because God was going to completely destroy and wipe out all the sin that was on the earth. The Bible saw they said that God looked on the earth and man's heart was just perpetually set. It was leaned towards being absolutely perverse and wicked, corrupt things were happening. And God says, I'm going to bring judgment before he brings judgment. He always extends grace and mercy. And so God extends this and the waters now come down upon the earth and everything that was rebellious to God, that's our sins, was drowned in the water, that's baptism. And everything that obeyed God lifted off the earth in the ark out of the water. You and I are that ark, which represents obeying God's plan of grace. God gave a plan of grace. He says, Noah, I see that your heart is set towards me. You don't want to live this way. And so I'm telling you, this is the way 
out of judgment. And the, I, I firmly believe this, that God's intention wasn't to see how many animals he can fill the ark with. God would rather have kicked out a zebra or a lion so there could be another soul in there. God would rather an ark filled with souls than with animals. But the truth of the matter is only eight souls were able to respond to God's grace because 120 years Noah built that ark. It was the greatest sermon illustration to people of the days to come. And people decided to mock and not listen to the grace of God that was extended to them. But Noah didn't just believe the grace. Noah built his faith on that grace and he built that ark. And the Bible says that ark, those waters saved him. And so these are the Bible examples that we see here. And so like us, when we, when we come to God and we, we, he gives us his grace and his mercy, he forgives us. God wants those waters once more to purge out everything on this earth that is in our lives so we can be lifted up out of that water into the newness of life. I got about 10 more minutes here. So going through these five examples of baptism and seeing the significance of baptism, the question uh, is asked, you know, is, is baptism essential to be saved? Well, let's look at a few things. I know we've went through these verses a couple weeks ago, but once more, I'm wanting to reiterate it at multiple angles here to help us to be able, whichever way best helps you to register and communicate it to somebody. And so Jesus is speaking in John 3, uh, 3 through 5. He's talking to Nicodemus, and he says to him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is key. There's a born again phrase. If you are not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus in verse 4 says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? And so Jesus answers the question by giving a revelation to what it means to be born again. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, If we are not born of water, we cannot go to heaven. Jesus said that not a religious organization, not Pastor Mark, Jesus Christ, who we claim to, be, to model our lives after. He says you must be born of water and spirit, not only to see, but to enter the kingdom of God. That born being born of water is being born of baptism, being that's part of being born again. So Jesus started off his ministry saying that. But look at the end of his ministry in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. Once more, Jesus here is speaking and he's uh, he's died. He's buried. He rose again. He's ascending up into heaven. And these are the final instructions he gives to his church. And I, I will just say this quick and you could jot it down if you would like to. It's John 1, 13 in tandem with John 3, 5. Because you will meet some people every now and again that will say being born of water is 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 uh, natural birth. You know, when a woman's water breaks. But that that stands in the face of Scripture, contradicts Scripture. Because in John 1, 13, it says, We are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so he says this birth into the kingdom, is part of it is not 
your natural birth process. That does not equate to being born again. Being born again is water and spirit. Water baptism, spirit baptism. But anyway, so at the end of Jesus' ministry here, he says this, go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, so there's the John three sixteen element, okay, and is baptized shall be saved. Now remember, belief, the repentance, the first thing that we do is we need to believe and repent, go to that altar, but after that, be baptized. And he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them that believe they shall speak with new tongues. There's the spirit aspect. None of that is possible without being baptized of the Holy Ghost. And so it follows that model of death, burial, resurrection, repentance, water baptism, spirit baptism. So Jesus said we must believe and be baptized to be saved. So Jesus said it, and we went through that Bible study. Look at 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. The only reason why life has continued this long is because God is full of long suffering. He has much patience for the harvest. He wants to see someone else receive this gospel. And so it says that the ark was preparing eight souls. Look at verse 20. It's very important. Eight souls saved by water. The like figure or the example is baptism doth also now save us. It's not a physical act of a bubble bath cleaning your flesh externally. It says it's not the putting away the filth of flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's the you see the three things again? Yeah, it, not, it doesn't just talk about the water baptism. It talks about the resurrection of God over and over again. That is the theme of the gospel. And so Peter said that baptism is part of salvation. Jesus said baptism is part of salvation. And in the very first message of the church, Acts 2, 36 through 38, Peter's preaching the, what Jesus gave him. And he says, I want everyone here to know this Jesus that you crucified. He is the Lord in Christ. The, the, the importance of what he's implying there, the implications uh, is not to be missed here. He says, Lord in Christ, Lord, meaning deity, Christ, meaning the savior, the anointed one. He's not just a teacher or a preacher. He is the savior and he is deity. He is God. So when they heard that message, there's conviction in their heart. Verse 37. And so they asked Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? And this is a very, this is the birthday of the church. The first answer to the first question. And he tells, here's what he tells everyone to do. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Once more, there's repentance, water baptism, spirit baptism, the death, the burial, the resurrection. So Peter asked, was asked directly, what must we do? He said, everyone, that's who, must be baptized, that's what, in Jesus' name, that's how, for the remission of sins, that's why. He answers so many questions in one simple verse, compacted together. He says that everyone, that's who needs to be baptized, that's what needs to be done, and in Jesus' name is how it needs to be done, for the remission of sins is why it needs to be done. And the name of Jesus in baptism is what remits or washes and pardons all of our sins. The power is in the name of Jesus, not in the water. It's the faith and obedience to what Jesus said to do. 
And when you call on the name that is above every name, and you could jot this verse down as uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is a saving name. When we look at Acts 10, 44 through 48, we read of another experience where people are baptized in water and filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter, while he's speaking these words, the Holy Spirit comes upon all of those that hear the message. In verse 45, the Gentile believers or the, the Jewish believers, the circumcised, that came with Peter are amazed or astonished because they see the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles. How do they know? They hear them speak with tongues and praising God. And here's what Peter says. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In Acts 2, uh, 10, 48, he says, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So even those, though these people were filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, new languages, Peter commands, he orders them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And here's the important thing we must recognize. You don't make commands out of opinions. You don't give orders for something that's an opinion. Peter commands them. He orders them to be baptized. Why? You could tie that back. You, you know, draw an arrow back up to Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You could draw an arrow back up to John 3, 5. You must be born of water and spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. You could draw that arrow back up to what Peter himself said in 1 Peter 3, uh, 21. Baptism doth also now save us. This is why the apostles commanded people to be baptized, not because they're trying to be dictators and lords over people's lives, but, but they had a Lord over their life who said, you need to be baptized. And because they're the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're simply repeating the master's orders, be baptized every one of you in Jesus name. So baptism is more than an option or opinion. It's essential. And some, some other verses that you could jot down. I don't know if it's in your handout or not, but acts 11, 13 through 17 is is very important. What that is, it's a chapter later of Peter recapping what happened in Acts chapter 10. And so he talks about the experience. And in verse 14 is a key word. Here's what the angel of the Lord told Cornelius, who got converted in Acts 10 that we just read about. It says, Peter will tell you words where you and all your house will be saved. And so that's the key thing to recognize, because if you read Cornelius's uh, uh, resume, he believes he prays to God all the time. He gives money to the poor. He gives money to the church, all these things. He is a good, upstanding citizen and believer. But the angel says someone's coming to tell you what you need to be saved to do to be saved. And Peter came and he he preached the Holy Ghost and he preached the water baptism in Jesus name. Acts chapter 8, I got about three minutes here. Uh, we read of another preacher. He opens his mouth, and he begins at the same scripture. He pre- preaches unto them Jesus. They went on their way, uh, and what's going on is Philip is teaching a Bible study to an Ethiopian eunuch. The man is in his vehicle, and Philip notices him, you know, with his version app open, and he goes over to him. He says, hey, wh- wh- what's going on? What are you reading? Because the Holy Ghost told him to go and talk to him, and as they're talking, uh, the man begins to ask him questions. He goes, I don't understand what I'm reading. And he's reading Isaiah 53. 
And it doesn't say Jesus. It doesn't say water baptism. It doesn't say any of those things. But Philip, with the revelation of what he's been taught and instructed, he gives them the revelation of Isaiah 53. He says, this is Jesus. And the whole time he's talking about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And so while he's preaching them Jesus in verse 35, they're in their car, they're in the Uber, they're riding. And all of a sudden he, he pulls over and he says, here is water. What is keeping me back from being baptized? What's hindering me? And Peter says, here's your qualifications, man. You believe with all your heart. You mayest. And the man responds, he goes, I believe that Jesus Christ, there's Christ and the son of God. There's the, remember Peter says, this same Jesus who you have crucified, both the Lord and Christ. He's the Messiah and he's deity. And now this Ethiopian eunuch says he's the Christ. He's the Messiah, but he's the son of God. He is the, the incarnation of God in the flesh. He is, he is the manifestation. He's God. He is deity. And with that revelation and understanding, all of a sudden, that he commands the chariot to stand still in verse 38. They both go down in the water and they baptize, baptize him. And the point is a hungry soul does not want to wait or be hindered. If you're hungry for Jesus, if you want Jesus to revolutionize your life and wash away your sins as far as the east is from the west, if you are hungry, you don't have to wait another day. You don't have to wait another week. You can be baptized today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have to take a 12-week class. His first day hearing this Bible study, the truth, he wanted to be baptized, and he was ready to be baptized. The only qualifications is a believing and repentant heart. And he was not sprinkled. He was immersed in the water. It says they both went down into the water. Uh, let me just read two verses. Then um, i got to hurry up real fast. Sorry. Acts 19 uh, or Acts 22, 16, Paul sharing his testimony. Why tarriest thou? And uh, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So baptism is a serious part of being saved. The preacher said, why tarriest thou? Or literally, what are you waiting for? This is not something to do once or twice a year as a group class. Why? Because the revelation is right here. It says sins are washed away. How? Calling on the name of the Lord. Who is that Lord? Jesus. That's what Acts 2.36, that's the revelation. He says that same Jesus you crucified is Lord, is Christ. And uh, if you're here, and we've talked about this weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Acts 19, 1 through 5 is a clear indication that people can be baptized before, but they, after they get the revelation of what baptism is and the, the way to be baptized, they can be rebaptized. Paul asks them in verse 3, how are you baptized? They tell them the way they were baptized. And so he talks to them about Jesus again. But the focus in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these people already believed and were baptized. If baptism is not a big deal, why did Paul specifically ask them how they were baptized? If it's not a big deal. But he took the time to ask them how. Why? Because Paul, from his own conversion experience says the preacher didn't play games with me he says stop dancing around the issue what are you waiting for be baptized calling on the name lord washing away your sins and so after he gave them bible study they were rebaptized in the name of jesus and i think it's on your hand out there we went over these questions a couple weeks ago but they're there for you to look at again these are the questions you always need to ask yourself or someone you're teaching a bible study to you know, you ask them if they've been baptized yet, okay? And then if so, these are the questions you want them to consider. 
The first one you ask is, were you a baby? Circle yes or no. Number two, were you sprinkled? Circle yes or no. And number three, were you baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Circle yes or no. And here's the results of that test. If you answered yes to any of the three questions above, you are a candidate to be rebaptized the biblical way. And the reason why we take time and we speak about it, teach about it, preach about it, and we spent a couple weeks on this is because what we've just studied, baptism is one significant. I mean, we just read some amazing stories about symbolism, baptism, but two, it's essential. Jesus didn't mince words about it. The apostles didn't mince words about it. And so we don't try to guilt people and rub their nose into, you know, something they did not know or they made a mistake or whatever. We're simply like God did with Noah. He's given them grace. This is, this is what's coming, and this is what you can do about what's coming. Let's stand together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for speaking to us, God. And help us to have a fresh revelation and appreciation of this beautiful doctrine, this beautiful foundation of water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.